0: another episode of Sweet Valley Online where evil triplets come together to snark Sweet Valley Twins and explore the darkness that lurks just beneath the surface of Sweet Valley. We recap three Sweet Valley Twins books each month. You can find all our recaps and previous podcast episodes at sweetvalley.online. We are also on Facebook at facebook.com slash sweetvalleyonline and on Tumblr at sweetvalleyonline.tumblr.com Our music is provided by Stuart Taylor of Legacy Breakfast. You can contact him at taylorstewart602 at gmail.com if you want to commission your own music. All of this information will be in the show notes. I'm Wing. I'm back to hating Sweet Valley. Mostly. And I may or may not be building replicas of the town only to then burn it to the ground. I'm here with my not-so-evil triplets, Dove and Raven.
1: I'm Dove. Or at least I am until my mother has a boy and gives my name to him. I'm Raven. I really
0: enjoyed this week's book. It was amazing. This month, we recapped number 24, Jumping to Conclusions, Super Edition number 2, Holiday Mischief, and number 25, Standing Out. And Dove and Raven are wrong. This month was terrible.
2: Jumping to conclusions centres on Jessica's belief that their mother, the sainted Alice Wakefield, is having an affair with a client. Her reasoning for this? She believes the spark has disappeared from her parents' marriage because they forgot their anniversary. As is her wont, she convinces Elizabeth and Stephen that the problem is real, yo. The three of them band together and do their best to drive a wedge between mummy and her imagined paramour. To be fair to Jessica, the clues are compelling. Her mother is spending a lot of time in the company of her client Frank, a famous bachelor millionaire with a private jet and chiselled abs. Jessica sees them dining together, laughing and flirting. She overhears phone conversations that are not meant for preteen ears. She even stumbles upon Alice and Frank dressed as Batman and Robin having freaky rodeo sex on the kitchen table of the Wakefield compound. I think, maybe I dreamt that part, I don't know. To protect their parents' marriage, the twins intimate that their mother is a promiscuous drunken car wreck with a plethora of failed marriages and an entire cavalcade of unruly crot rats. Frank buys into the whole thing until the big reveal. Frank is getting married to a different woman entirely. Ned and Alice are still very much in love and everyone has a grand old laugh at the whole shebang. The shenanigans are glorious, the dialogue is gleeful and the book carooms along at a breakneck pace, without one iota of snark or irony. The whole thing is brilliant. Jumping to conclusions. Approved.
0: I never want to go after Raven again in the book summary game. Holy cow. Okay. Yeah. Should we just quit? My God. I'm out. I'm done. Raven can do the
1: whole podcast. (laughs) That's it. So thanks for listening. Wing and Dove are now leaving because we are superfluous. And Raven, take it away. Yeah. Bleak Valley. Some shit happens. I don't know.
0: Okay. In Holiday Mischief, the Sweet Valley Middle School Choir is off to Washington, D.C. for a national competition. For once, Elizabeth and Jessica have not been a part of the choir because they're too busy doing 500,000 other things. Conveniently, though, the choir needs more members before they can go out to D.C., and I'm sure you'll be surprised to know the Wakefields make the choir and then get a bunch of solos. Because that's totally fair to the people like Dana who have been involved in the choir from the beginning and doing all the hard work that got them to DC in the first place, but whatever. Also along for the ride is Anna, who can't sing at all, but needs to find her secret sister who is moving from Australia to DC. She's learned about this from letters to her parents that her parents have not told her about. While Anna knows she's adopted, she's never heard about a secret sibling and is angry at her parents for keeping the secret and concerned as to why they have. The Wakefields work with her to pull all sorts of tricks to make sure that no one realizes she can't sing. Tricks like making sure the choir director can't tell that one voice isn't singing when four of them are singing at the same time because that's absolutely something that's going to happen from a choir director. When they get to D.C., More shenanigans happen around keeping Anna's terrible voice a secret. Anna and Jessica manage to stop a spy at the Australian embassy. Anna learns that her secret sister, Leslie, is actually a secret brother. Sweet Valley wins the competition, beating out the school that has won for the past three years, because of course they do. Lots of the solo awards go to the Wakefields, because of course they do. And this is the most ridiculous book ever, The End.
2: Most ridiculous book ever. I give you Johnny Book in a flying limousine.
0: That was all a dream. This actually happens. Jisig on isig ni bethig uck. That wasn't ridiculous.
2: That was just shit.
0: I agree. Nothing happened in that. In this one,
1: ridiculous things happened. I was positing the theory that that book existing is a ridiculous thing. Someone approved that. Well, fair enough. I'll give you that one. Right. Now, I suppose you want to hear about Standing Out. Yes, please. Standing Out is all about Billy Layton, who we met in Playing hooky. She is the pitcher for the softball team. Go Wildcats. Was it Wildcats? Who knows? Who cares? It's never mentioned. Billy is going through issues. Her mother is massively, massively pregnant and about to pop. she's not belinda yet is she she's billy bollocks she's billy bollocks (laughs) unhelpful funny but unhelpful that's why i'm here surely
2: funny but unhelpful
1: billy is also having issues because she's just realizing she's the only girl on the softball team and she's getting her period and wondering if her her boobs will grow and get in the way of her pitching Also, her best friend, Jim Sturbridge, which in itself is a problem because this is the asshat who bought into sexism within about three seconds in Boys Against Girls and the genius that contributed the silly eight play to the sixth grade follies. So when that's your best friend, you've got a lot of fucking problems to begin with. But now he's taken up with some slutty sixth grader who has the audacity to have boobs Billy is also having issues because she's just realising she's the only girl on the softball team and she's getting her period and wondering if her boobs will grow and get in the way of her pitching. Also, her best friend, Jim Sturbridge, which in itself is a problem because this is the asshat who bought into sexism within about three seconds in Boys Against Girls and the genius that contributed the silly eight play to the sixth grade follies. So, When that's your best friend, you've got a lot of fucking problems to begin with. But now he's taken up with some slutty sixth grader who has the audacity to have boobs, Sally Holcomb, and keeps dropping Billy. Additionally, Billy is not getting to spend time with her dad. And with the new baby being a boy, Billy is worried that she's going to be less important because she's a mere girl. Yuck. Thankfully, everything is sorted out when she has a makeover and she discovers that she's pretty. And yay, I'm a girl now. It's awesome. And dad complimented me as a girl. And yay, everything's okay. And I'm no longer jealous of my brother. And yeah, he can have my name. I'll go back to being called Belinda. So that was rubbish, really.
2: Jumping to conclusions then. Best book. It was amazing. Absolutely. Clearly the best book. Yeah clearly the best of this month I do think that this one was written by the same um, Jamie Suzanne who wrote The Older Boy I don't know what it is, I think it's the dialogue that gives it away, the dialogue in this was very believable and funny which is something that it usually isn't, it tries to be funny but it's usually lame dad jokes but this actually had some nuance and some character and it was really yeah, really, really well done
1: one of the Jamie Suzanne's actually ghost wrote a couple of books in a series that Wing and I adore called Making Out, which is Catherine Applegate's uh, brainchild. We love it. And that's definitely known for its snarky dialogue and believable situations. So I'm I think it's a fair guess to assume that the Jamie Suzanne who does the books that we enjoy is also the Jamie Suzanne that worked in Making Out.
0: What I like about this Jamie Suzanne, and I do think it's probably the same one who wrote The Older Boy, is that she writes Jessica in a way that is so purely Jessica. She's ridiculous and over the top and leaps to conclusions, but and all of these things. But she's wonderful. She's manipulative. She does whatever it takes to get her own way. She comes up with plans that make no sense and yet work out she's fantastic and i love that that's why this is the best book because jessica is amazing in it
2: yeah i agree i think the jessica of this book and a, a few other books is is the best jessica i think there's a lot of jamie suzanne's who take the the lazy the late the lazy suzanne way out of it and they say well jessica's the bad part of elizabeth if you like um and what we're going to do is just make her about the other people and be nasty and horrible and shirk all responsibility and not do this and not do that and <clears throat> while that is one of the is some of the traits she has they are not the things that make jessica the person that we enjoy reading about they're just character traits that were like right fair enough that's how she is but when she's inventive when she's jumping to conclusions and coming up with madcap schemes then that's the
1: yeah i love this book and And I've got to jump ahead to the final prank that they play where they fill the house with brothers and sisters from all of Alice's previous marriages. It's just spectacular. It's so much fun. And it's, as Raven and Wing have pointed out, the dialogue is is good and funny and it just moves along. It's awesome. Yeah, if we go and discuss the final
2: scene where (laughs) they are pulling the prank on Frank where they have invited him to the house when they know their parents are away and they've got friends of Stephen who are in the basketball team Uh, I think did they also move all the furniture down to the basement of the house and got loads of crappy patio furniture up I don't for a second believe that there was lots of crappy patio furniture down in the bottom of the uh, Wakefield compound basement but taking that aside when Frank sees them Playing the the game of Drop the Sister, I Drop believe. Drop Sister. <laughs> and they come yeah. in with um, is it Amy who's uh, who's playing the 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 third Wickfield sister, and the, the kids are just being wildly over the top and inappropriate, and the whole thing is so over the top, it's glorious.
0: It really is. Another thing I like about this is that it shows their friends actually being friends, but even more than that, it shows the siblings banding together to do something. Often it's Jessica against Elizabeth or Jessica against Stephen and Elizabeth calling her ridiculous. But while I'm not entirely sure I buy that Stephen would believe this, if I could suspend that disbelief, the fact that the three of them are working so hard together to save their parents' marriage and coming up with these wild plans and bringing their friends in and their friends are eager to make this happen they love it it's just a great look about what siblinghood and friendship can really do in positive ways even if it's in a ridiculous unbelievable situation it's great to see
1: i actually believe that stephen would buy into this because we've had no indication that he's even smart he's he's incredibly average like He's not funny. He just functions. He literally lives by the fridge filling his face going, thank God I'm not fat. Oh, well, basketball. I do that. I play the basketball. I shoot the basketballs. That's like literally his contribution to the entire series. And there are some books where he's written as if he's like about four. He just has. He's so magnificently stupid. So. Yeah, I can totally see him buying into this, especially since Jessica's the one who pitched it and he's in love with her. But I'm going to take a bit of umbrage at that one. I think that's
2: a bit unfair on Stephen. I think what you're saying there is very pertinent if you look at Stephen in the series. But if you look at Stephen in the way that this Jamie Suzanne writes him, I think he's got a bit more to offer than that. If we're taking it as this Jamie Suzanne's the same writer who wrote The Older Boy, Stephen was a very good sibling in that as well. He protected Jessica when the dates were going wrong and he 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 stood up for her when the parents found out at the circus and so forth. And I think that Stephen had a lot more going for him then. And in this book, he's also funny. I, I believe he is funny. He was funny in The Older Boy as well when he was teasing Jessica while they were on the double date together. But in this book, he is funny, and some of the lines he comes up with in the final scene, it's like, are these your brothers and sisters? They could be. There's too many to count these days. Stuff like that is, is very, very, you know, a, a little bit more than just the moron by the fridge, as, you, as the other Jamie Susans, would Have You Believe. You're right. I also think that the believability, or, or Stephen believing it, is is a little more believable, if you like, than, than um, Wing was suggesting as well because jessica is very very persuasive that's one of the things we love about her she can drag everybody along into these madcap schemes but when jessica's convincing Stephen, one of the one of the things that one of the lines which was very telling and very very funny to me was when she's saying oh do you think that mum showed us the picture of frank's house in this magazine because that's where we're all going to live when they they elope together and Stephen's just like she never showed me a picture of a house, I've just proper creased up at that because it's so layered. But that was the the moment that Stephen bought into it, and I'm like, yes, I can believe that entirely. He's worried about the fact that he's going to be lumbered with Ned sat in the basement <laughs> eating Cheetos and watching basketball for the rest of his life without any females in the house at all. So yeah, I could believe that Stephen believed the whole thing.
0: All right, you've convinced me. I actually could see that as a way that it goes with Stephen. Yeah. All right. You convinced me. Good job. Same here.
1: I'd completely forgotten that this Jamie Suzanne doesn't just write Jessica well. She writes everything well and we love her. So you're right. I mean, it's bizarre.
2: This Jamie Suzanne even writes the parents well, because when they were, came home and there was a surprise party right at the beginning um, where, where the kids had done a surprise party for um, the parents' 16th anniversary. And they were like surprise, and the parents were like, "What? What's going on? Oh, it's our anniversary. We'd forgotten." And they were like, "What do you mean you've forgotten?" And even then, they were joking with the kids, going, "Yeah, I knew the romance couldn't last, and stuff like that." And it's from those early moments. You're like, "Yep, yeah, this one's this one's going to be good." There's trolling in the first in the first page from from the people that you don't expect it. So, yeah, well done again to the Jamie Suzanne.
1: Yeah, this book was just
2: universally glorious, I think. Is there a resource out there where the Jamie Susannes have been revealed and listed and stuff like that, or is it just still shrouded in mystery?
1: Um, Not not that I'm aware of. I mean, my Google foo may be weak. I mean, I couldn't even find the correct order for Sweet Valley Twins until TG stopped uh, stepped in and sent us the list. But possibly it is. I know Kate William is a name of a writer... The writer of Sweet Valley High, but I don't know if that's yet another pseudonym by a fleet of writers. It kind of feels like it should be. One of the Kate Williams has done some of the Sweet Valley and some of the making out. And she's also got her own unique series and she's ghostwritten maybe even Babysitter's Club. I think the one that we like is quite prolific, but we have no clue who the rest are.
0: There's at least one who openly talked about it in an article, maybe on Huffington Post, not too long ago, maybe a couple of years ago. I'll try to track that down because it was interesting to see her perspective on being a ghostwriter uh, and a little bit on how she started to feel trapped in it, which I guess makes sense. You're not writing under your own name, but you're also writing to a very set standard a set world and set story plots but yeah so at least one of them has come out and talked about it openly i don't know if any of the others have
1: i know that one of them has shared a few snippets of the sweet valley High bible with another site um only a few snippets it uh, obviously it'd be delightful to have the whole thing available to everyone uh, like i would happily pay for that but i can't think who it is so Maybe I'll do some Googling and put it in the show notes if I remember. When you say the Sweet Valley Bible, do you mean
2: the notes that the publishers gave to the writers about things that needed to be included and not included
1: and directions? Yeah, and and continuity and all sorts of stuff like that. And obviously that's a bit of a joke because continuity's never felt particularly high on anyone's radar. Yeah, I'm pretty sure the continuity section is just an appendix of that Bible, to be
0: honest. Just says lol and has a smiley face, maybe a picture of a cock and balls however they have missed a trick not releasing that they would get so much money for people to pay for that book so yeah there you go publishers you could still give it to us come on hand it over it'd
2: really help fanfic writers as well because they could just go right well kate will will frame this exactly the way that the publishers wanted and that'd be awesome
0: i do wonder did they never publish an unofficial guide even to it or an official guide? There was a book published partway through the Babysitter's Club series that was kind of an encyclopedia of everything that had happened. Continuity, descriptions of what happened in each book, notes about the babysitters themselves. And it, too, struggled with continuity, both the series and this particular book. But it was an interesting resource. And I know fanfic writers uh, found it and used it. So did they not publish anything like that for Sweet Valley, Dove?
1: As far as I know, no. But there is a book called If You Lived Here, You'd Be Perfect By Now. And it's by Robin Robin Hardwick, who I believe owns a site that does recaps or, um, or is at least prolific in contributing. Um, I, I don't know very much about the Sweet Valley High fandom because I was always very much twins. But her name sort of rings a bell with me and I feel like it, it should and I should have filed away who specifically she is but yeah it's on my wish list sooner or later when i stop buying my little ponies i'm buying
0: that book we'll have to take a look at it and do a recap of a recap book apparently <laughs> that'll be awesome uh, yeah let's drop a link to that in the show notes too because i'm curious
2: okay one more thing i'd like to say before we move on it, it's tough to to say snarky things about a book that i loved to be honest well i will have to give a shout out to, to the pacing of the book because the whole thing was ridiculous especially at the end it was so overblown and so stupid it was glorious and the only way that worked was because the book beforehand paced it brilliantly from the small clues of the relationships breaking down building and building and building to the end without that really really well well done pacing the whole thing could have just fallen to pieces So I've got to give a bit of kudos to that.
0: That's a great point. It really is well-paced, especially for a Sweet Valley book. But also, it just builds speed and builds speed until you are right there along for the ride. Jessica convinces you, the reader, even though you could look at it and go, no, this is clearly not happening. She takes you along for the ride in which you're cheering their plans and excited to see what's happening. Also, you guys really need to go take a look at the written recap to see the cover of this book, which is possibly the greatest cover in the entire Sweet Valley series. It has Jessica dressed up like a spy wearing a fedora and a long coat as she's stalking her mother around town. And it is the best thing I've ever seen. You forgot to mention the newspaper so
1: she could be reading it if anyone looks over.
0: (laughs) So true. So true. So much thought went into it and we love it. And there's actually a hilarious continuity point or failed continuity between this book and the next book, because at the point where Jessica and Anna are dealing with the spy at the Australian embassy, Jessica actually says uh, something about a spy only wearing a fedora and a coat and stuff like that. And it completely ties back to what she looks like on this cover. And it was just such a great little reference. Okay, should we
2: move on to the next book? Because we've certainly covered everything in this one.
0: Yes. Yes. Let's move away from the good book to the bad book. I will just say
1: that I actually like the super editions. I don't know whether I said this on the last one. Not class trip, obviously, but I usually like these because it it tends to grab like a couple of Elizabeth kind of friends, not necessarily her actual friends. It just creates new Elizabeth style people. And then it grabs a couple of unicorns and it makes them get along despite their differences. And I like reading that. I I wish there was more of that in the actual series. Like, you know, despite the fact that Lila's a massive snob, she can get along just fine with Julie Porter because they have a shared interest in collecting garden gnomes or something. You know, I'd love I, I like strange friendships or. Friendships Despite Differences, and the Super Editions at least make a token effort for it. One of the things that
2: you we were talking about before the podcast started, listeners, was that Lila doesn't appear in many of the Super Editions, so perhaps that's one of the reasons why she doesn't. It's because she is Queen of the Unicorns, and therefore she wouldn't be so accepting to non-unicorn friendships maybe
0: i think that's clearly set up in the next book that we're going to talk about where she isn't not only does she not care that they have a bad reputation when they do but she doesn't care about adding people to them she thinks that they don't really need more unicorns so she would not i think be very open to these outside friendships also uh, raven made a good point in the pre recording conversation about this and that there's no way Lila's going to do all of these things. Why would she join a choir just to go to DC when she can go to DC with her dad at any time or even on her own at any time. So it does make sense that while all these other characters, including the Wakefields are excited to join the choir specifically for this trip, Lila doesn't need that. So Lila doesn't care. And that's a great point. And while she would have added a lot to this, uh, she would have, I think, limited what Jessica could do with Anna, who is the new character for this book, by keeping Jessica away from her and keeping the unicorns intact. So it does make sense not to have her, but I definitely felt like she was missing from Jessica's plotting, especially when it comes down to the spy at the Australian embassy, which I'm going to hit on quite a bit because you guys, Jessica stops a spy at the Australian embassy. It
2: was only little though, wasn't he? He was like an inch high spy.
1: I reckon Jessica could stop a tsunami, like, just by pulling bitch face.
2: Was it actually a spy or was it Ken Matthews in a hat?
1: See, every time Raven says something funny, (laughs) uh, we mute ourselves. So it sounds like he gets no laughs, but um, he gets the odd little chuckle. Sometimes he is genuinely unfunny, though, you know. Make your own judgment. Thanks.
0: She says, odd little chuckle, uh, except that every time I'm turning purple is red and she mentions it, it's because of something Raven said, so...
2: See, funny and unhelpful,
0: that's me.
1: Okay, well, this book was fucking ridiculous, really, wasn't it? I mean, how crap is their choir master for not noticing that out of four people singing, only three voices were there? Because, you know... I'm led to believe that choir masters sort of know a little bit about music and uh can hear music and shit. So choir masters
2: can hear music and shit. <laughs> is that on their CV? Yeah. Can you hear music and shit? Yep, you're hired. Well to be fair that probably is the hiring policy in this school.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Do you really think any more effort went into it than that? Like Here the interview was like Do you own a record player? Yeah. Perfectly qualified. Oh, you've never hit on kids, have you? Because we've already got Nydick who does
0: that. And, you know, he's a bit territorial. So we've referenced the singing four and Only uh, only three singing would four should be. But here's what happens. Apparently, because they're adding, I think it's 10 students. They're going to audition four at a time, which doesn't even go into 10. So interesting choice there. But also, we end up with Jessica, Elizabeth, Anna, who can't sing, and I think Ellen, who are going to audition together. And Jessica's idea, which, of course, it's Jessica who comes up to this because she comes up with all of the best plans, even when they're also the worst plans. Jessica decides that Anna can stand between them and just mouth the words and the judges will think she's singing and then she's very dramatic about it. She makes her face uh, very expression, full of expression. She makes it look like she's singing, and this plan works. The choir director cannot tell that there are only three voices when there should be four voices. And we learn later that they aren't all singing the same part. Uh, while I'm musical I can't sing either, so I don't really know how all of this choral stuff is laid out. But one's a soprano, one's an alto. There's different voice types going on. And he still can't hear that there are only three, not four. Not only that, the fact that he's auditioning four at a time and then doesn't listen to them sing individually is ridiculous in and of itself. The fact that he can't hear three instead of four voices and lets them all into the choir is The most ridiculous thing in a book full of ridiculous things.
1: I see that and raise you a better ridiculous thing. One of those three singers was Ellen Reitman. Why the fuck would Ellen Reitman do a favor for someone who isn't a unicorn, even if Jessica told her to? She's never, ever been nice to a new person think how horrible she was to Ginny Lou Culpepper she may even have a vendetta against gingers and Anna is a ginger I'm just saying Ellen wouldn't go along
0: with this shit I think she would because again Jessica's the one setting this up Ellen is outnumbered there are not a lot of unicorns participating and Jessica is clearly the de facto leader when Lila or Janet's not around so I think she absolutely would go along with Jessica
2: maybe Ellen couldn't hear the fourth voice too Maybe she was like, "Yes, we were all very good, weren't we? Especially you, Anna. You were excellent. Thank you." The whole thing with the the choir thing—it just wound me up. Exactly what you said about the uh, let's just audition for four at a time, even though we need ten people. Audition five at a time because then you can choose two groups instead of going, "Oh, well, we need this group, this group, and half of this group." How do you know which half is good if you haven't if you
1: just hear them all singing together? Also, I just want to put this out there. It's not fucking X Factor. It's a middle school with three grades in it. You've got enough time to let everyone sing individually. I mean, Raven uh, auditioned for X Factor, which had a significantly higher turnout than a fucking middle school. And uh, he got to sing all by himself. Wait, wait, let's roll this back. Raven auditioned for X Factor? You knew this, surely? I did not know. (laughs) I texted you while he was queuing. And also... He
0: told a lie about milk. <laughs> what lie did you tell about milk?
2: I got very confused about milk. For those who don't know, listeners, I work in the dairy industry. And I'd only just started working in the dairy industry in an office role. Um, and when I got down to the... I've been, How long have I been waiting? About 10 hours to sing. And I got down to the bit where I was singing. And there was a producer on the show stood there. And she asked me what I did as a bit of banter, and I said, oh, I I work in the um, the milk industry, I know lots of boring things about milk, and she said, tell me a boring thing about milk, which is the obvious question that they're going to ask if you lead with, I know lots of things about milk, and my mind froze, I'd been there about three weeks, and I couldn't think of anything, so I just went, yeah, um, milk, it's got about... 42 percent fat in it and then that's the important bit and when we take it out the cow we just throw the rest away and the i could see her eyes glaze over completely and it was just rubbish it was just absolute nonsense what i should have done he said yeah you know milk when it comes out of the cow it's green and then the answer would have been really and i went no not really and then we would have moved on and that would have been fine and then i sang life on mars by david bowie and she went it's a no and I went home, and that was it.
0: I will say, I think it's the milk lie and the way that was handled that kicked you off rather than your singing. Because they need someone they could banter with on television, and you failed miserably, despite how charming you are here. You failed miserably there. I really did.
2: I, I have sleepless nights about it still. Just think, if you'd have been doing a podcast
1: at the time, you'd have probably been more banter-ready. Yes, I've been
2: honing my banter ever since. For my next opportunity, they will take me on the X Factor.
1: Although on the other side of it, you had spent like nine years married to me at that point, so... All the banter had been battered out of me. (laughs) Wow, that was not where I was going with that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, Dove's getting divorced. (laughs) What? That was fun. While it lasted, it's been great to have all of you here, but clearly this podcast has just been destroyed.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) On the subject of the podcast, maybe we should do that. You know. (laughs) Sweet Valley. That's a thing. (laughs) X
2: Factor, Sweet
0: Valley, it's all the same, right?
2: Going back to the choir and the choir masters and stuff like that, as I say, I thought it was absolutely ludicrous the way they set it all up. But I do think that well, everyone knows, I presume, that I actually hate all of the teachers at Sweet Valley High, because uh, sorry, Sweet Valley Middle School, because they are just a useless shower of shite. Whatever they do, they do it badly, and they're just inept. It's just awful. I think that the way this book was written, I would like to believe that Jamie Suzanne was playing on that a little bit, because the choir thing is so odd. But later on in the book, when Jessica and Anna disappear and go to the embassy, and then the teachers find out find out what's happened, and then they sort of bluster into the embassy, going, "What's going on? We've lost children here!" Whoa, whoa, whoa! They just come across as idiots. They were obviously written to be look to look like idiots. So I, I'd like to think that the Jamie Suzanne, at least in this book, was playing on that fact a little. I could be persuaded that it was not the case though because i don't think it was strong enough to really hammer that point home
0: i often think that you're giving them too much credit but i do kind of wish that was true and it might be here because they really are ridiculous throughout even if you take it that they have to set up somehow for anna to join the choir for this whole story to go the things that these choir directors believe and the things that they let them do they set down rules like they can't ever go alone without a chaperone immediately Jessica and Anna are sent back to the hotel without a chaperone. Just on and on, they're shown as incompetent assholes, really. And they definitely get their comeuppance at the end when they burst to the embassy, only to be told that Jessica and Anna are heroes. So yeah, it very well could be that this Jamie Suzanne is taking uh, the piss out of the educational system in Sweet Valley, because it's not just Sweet Valley Middle School. You also hate Madame André. So it kind of looks like everyone in Sweet Valley, every teacher in Sweet Valley, is just horrific. Fuck Madame André.
1: There is no decent adults in this series at all, except for Ellen Reitman's mum, who said, no, actually, in Buried Treasure, that was stealing, even if they were dead. The music teacher, Miss MacDonald from... Ithi. But isn't she the choir master in this book? Yeah, so she's already gone downhill. So I'm guessing adulthood is just like, I don't know, you get your brain removed or your empathy or your decency or something. Maybe, Well, maybe it's like because in
2: Ithig, Miss MacDonald was the one save well, I want to say saving grace, but it wasn't a saving grace. She was the one most palatable thing in the meal of complete insipid spaff that the entire book was maybe because she was just getting her job there so she'd come as a substitute teacher and then was employed maybe since she's been there for the three four months after ifig she's just been browbeaten by the other teachers and she's just lost her spark and she's now just one of us google horror assimilated into the the asinine borg that are the staff there
0: I was going to defend her because I definitely thought she was just one of the chaperones because she is, and they distinguish between her as the music teacher and Mr. Stefan as the choir teacher, but she actually holds auditions with him. So, you know what? I'm not going to defend her anymore.
1: I was just going to ask, actually, because um, I believe this book is set in the first couple of weeks in December because Amy says that she doesn't want to go to Washington, D.C. because she wants to visit her grandparents at Christmas. It's like, just admit you can't sing, dude. Yeah, they go sledding as well, don't they, in the snow. And so
2: is Washington a snowy place in December?
0: It can be. Also, their whole repertoire is Christmas songs. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely going into Christmas. They,
2: they go caroling, I seem to remember.
1: Yeah, and then the book immediately after it is in the middle of softball season. So I was going to ask Wing... When's softball season? Like, Uh, because I, for all I know, this, this lines up perfectly, but I just wanted an American's take.
0: uh, I mean, maybe it's different in California, though. I doubt it. But usually I think, well, so at their age, they probably wouldn't actually have a school softball time, like softball where it was co-ed would be in the summer and then in high school, you'd have girls softball and boys baseball. And girls softball is in the fall, and baseball's in the spring. But even then, they probably wouldn't be playing across December and January, like uh, the next book sort of implies. Especially since they're pretty far into their season. It's at the final games, right? So maybe February even. Yeah, I feel like this isn't going to line up. Though California does have better weather, they could still be playing. It doesn't line up with what I've seen at schools.
1: Yeah. I mean I didn't think it was going to anyway, but I just thought I don't just on the off chance that you had some quirky way of going about these things because of the benefit of Californian
0: weather. I mean, Sweet Valley might have a quirky way of going about these things, obviously, but So what's funny about this book too is that all of this choir stuff is actually the B plot, despite the fact that we're focusing on it over everything. Because technically It is all driving the A plot, which is that Anna has found out that she has a secret sibling whom she thinks is a sister. But obviously, in the summary earlier, I spoiled that into it's actually a brother. But I got this book because it talks about adoption. And as we've talked about in other episodes, I am adopted. For once, the treatment of adoption in this is not terrible. There's, I think, only one line about Anna looking for her real family. Uh, And that's crap, obviously. Adopted families are real families. Other than that, this treats adoption really well. Anna being adopted is not a big, dark secret. She's always known. Her parents are very upfront about it. They've talked about it. She has no unhappy feelings about it. She doesn't feel like her life is empty. The only thing that happens is that when she finds out she has a sibling she didn't know about, she feels hurt that they didn't tell her and worried that they are afraid that she'll try to leave them or try to go find her birth family. She is worried about how they feel and why they think they have to keep this a secret when they haven't kept anything a secret before. And I really love that. That's an unusual treatment of adoption in pop culture, especially at the time. And it's great to see. It's pretty much exactly what I'd want to see from an adoption story. If you want to do some sort of secret in an adoption story, make the adoption known and then have a sibling that they couldn't know about for some reason. And in this case, it is because her brother's adopted family uh, in Australia was a part of some very high-level government work. He had to keep things a secret for security reasons. And while it's kind of overblown, it does work as a reason for keeping the secret. And now that he's no longer in that sort of high-level, dangerous work, now that he's come to be an, ambassador, an Australian ambassador in the U.S., The siblings can know each other, they can talk to each other, they can have a relationship now. And it actually works as an adoption storyline, and I liked that. Unfortunately, the choir part ruined everything about this book for me.
1: (laughs) And we should probably mention that there was Sherry Dunstan, the mean girl. Yeah, they just randomly created a rival for Jessica, who is basically Lila. You know, she's pretty. She's got a lovely singing voice. She's wealthy. She's very successful, and she just acts like the unicorns act. And I thought that was a bit hypocritical. They're like, "Oh, why is she so mean, dude?" That's how you and your friends act all the time. Yeah, that's a good point.
2: Uh, another thing with Sherry Dunstan is, did they have um when they they all went sledding, I believe, and having some sled races from the two schools. And Jessica was up against Sherry Dunstan and they had a sled race down the hill and Sherry veered in front of um, Jessica and caused Jessica to crash into a tree, I believe. And she went on to win that race. And then for some reason, everyone went, no, you can't do that, Sherry, well, you must go again. And they went again and had another race, which Jessica won. And that whole bit seemed to me like, well, you've got to have the Wakefields winning at everything. I was like, I didn't like that bit at all. I was like, why not just have it like Jessica doesn't want to race again or something? And it's like, fine, whatever, we'll move on from that. It just seemed a bit fan servicey that.
0: It really did. The other thing is, Sherry takes up a lot of time in the narrative, enough so that for a while I was wondering if she was going to end up being Anna's secret sibling. Because she really does pick on Anna a lot for no reason. She hasn't even heard Anna sing, which is part of why she picks on her. And Jessica gets on her radar by defending Anna. So yeah, it just seemed like she had far more weight to the story than she should have as just a mean girl side character. So yeah, for a long time, I was waiting for the surprise to be that she was the secret sibling.
1: That would have been great.
0: Yeah, I hadn't
2: considered that. That would have been really good. I will say that she was picking on Anna because she hadn't heard Anna sing, but then neither had The Quiet Master, so...
0: This book also carries on with Jessica coming up with wild schemes and being prepared for them. At one point, when they first get to D.C., when they're first having their rehearsal, they're going to have the students audition for solos. Because absolutely, the last few days before a competition is the time to be choosing your soloist, Mr. Schuster. However... Uh, to get Anna out of it Jessica spills ink on her new sweater and this is when they're sent back to the hotel without a chaperone turns out though that it's invisible ink so Jessica in all of her wacky planning brought invisible ink with her just in case she needed to throw it at someone so it was amazing
1: yeah again reasons to love Jessica you're coming around on this I feel it
2: I think that was a great thing as well. The invisible ink's like, of course she's carrying invisible ink. Why wouldn't she? But then again, maybe she was anticipating the spy intrigue later. So she was going to be a spy at some point, And I'd have to write some secret documents that couldn't fall into the hands of the enemy. Or well, they could have even done that. They could have tied it in. They could have went, oh no, this guy has gone to route through the um, the stuff at the um, in the embassy. And he's going through these documents. Let's substitute these documents for this... Document that I've just written with invisible ink, which you know I have because I spilled it before.
0: Haha! I guess we need to talk about the spy part too. So they are Jessica and Anna sneak their way into this big ball that the embassy is having to welcome the new ambassador. They sneak in by hanging out close to two adults that don't have any kids with them and just acting like they are the this people's children and just walking in because of course, no embassy would actually check invitations to make sure two children were involved with this, but it's great and it's ballsy and it's pure Jessica. And then they go exploring, trying to find Anna's secret sister And end up finding, instead, a hidden office. And then a spy comes in and starts rifling through papers. And then a boy catches him, and he's been traveling along the hidden tunnels between the walls. There's this whole spy chase through the walls. And then his dad turns out to be the ambassador. So they run and tell the ambassador what's happening. They rush around trying to find the spy. Jessica's the one that identifies the spy in the kitchen because he's dressed himself as a chef. She recognizes him because of this ring that he's wearing and because she always recognizes fancy things. And she saves the day. And it's all very ridiculous and very madcap and very unbelievable. And yet so much fun. And if the choir part of this book hadn't infuriated me so much, I would have loved this book. Because all of the spy shenanigans and adoption being open and secret siblings and trying to figure stuff out, that was all great. It's just the premise, the way they had to twist reality to make this premise work is infuriating. Also, I found the exact quote I wanted about Jessica and the spies. Jessica says this, Nobody looks like a spy, Jessica replied knowledgeably, unless he's wearing a trench coat, which is, you may recall, exactly what she's wearing to spy on people on the cover of Jumping to Conclusions, because Jessica is amazing. See, Jessica love is strong on this podcast. You gave me a shirt that proclaims my love for Jessica to the whole world. You knew knew I was coming around on this.
1: I know, and then I made it worse by making sure that it was a colour that you despise. I knew you hated hot pink, and we searched long and hard for the most obnoxious shade. And to be fair, we only quoted what you said directly.
0: This is what friendship looks like, people. Avoid friends at all costs, or you two will end up here. Friendship is not magic. Friendship is a bag of dicks. Okay, so have we exhausted... The holiday mischief? I think so. And I hate you because you guys have all talked me around to liking it a lot more than I did. As (laughs) usual. So great. Let's move on. Well, I'm not going to
1: talk anyone into liking this. This book. The thing is, I used to reread this one quite often. I quite enjoyed it for like the tomboy angle. But it's got the most awful message ever. Like the moral of this story is... Your identity is your gender and boys are better than you. It's awful. I mean, Billy's parents are awful. Her dad calls her Billy, short for Belinda, every day of her life for 12 years. And then the mum gets pregnant. They find out they're having a boy and they decide to call him William Arthur to honor a granddad or something. And they automatically assume that they're going to call this boy Billy. And as Wing pointed out, you know, you can shorten William other ways, like Will or Wills or whatever you want to call him. Maybe Wills is a bit English. But, you know, you could call him Will or Liam or, I don't know, whatever you want, really. But they're just like, no, we're going to call him Billy because we'll just take that name off that girl child we had to tide us over until we got what we wanted. And it's just awful. It's so insulting. It just shows a massive lack of respect for Billy. And when it's, when it's later tied up and, you know, she's holding her brother and all the resentment floats away, and Wink says that's a thing that that happens. And since I'm an only child who doesn't like holding babies, I can't see that, but I am open to it being a reality, obviously. You know, she's just like, oh, yeah, I'm Belinda now. And then her dad goes, oh, you're so pretty now that you're a girl. And she's like, that's the best compliment I've ever had. Daddy really values me because I'm a girl. And it just undermines everything like, oh, you were really good at softball. You were really good at fishing. You were probably good at running. You know, if your dad spent all this time teaching you boy hobbies, all of that is fucking irrelevant because, You're a girl, so put on a dress and call yourself Belinda.
0: There's some really great bits about this, especially with Billy getting her period for the first time and all of her concerns about now that she's hitting puberty, will her changing body hurt the way she plays sports? Uh, She's starting to notice boys. She's just really awkward about it. And all of that is great. That's exactly... True to so many people I know that they did start to worry, well, I've played all these sports for so long. If I get boobs or if I get taller or if I gain weight in my hips and stuff, is this going to be a problem? And sometimes it is, and sometimes it isn't. But then there's all this stuff with her family, which is complete crap. And the fact that she's so excited to be getting these compliments paid to how she looks, not just from her dad, but from the guys on the team who she thinks are really starting to see her as a girl for the first time. And all the compliments she's had about her sports just don't matter compared to these. That's disgusting.
1: I have absolutely no beef with the idea of a tomboy who suddenly finds that she quite likes... Wearing dresses, makeup, curling her hair, whatever. But, and here's a spoiler for the rest of the series. Belinda Layton, from this point, will only ever act like a unicorn, just a standard unicorn. You know, you need someone who's not Lila or Ellen to say something, assign it to Belinda. And there is no sort of callback to how how sporty or how she had this interest in her tomboy style hobbies and so the implication is i wore a dress i realized i was hot fuck everything that used to be my life i'm hot now and mommy and daddy love this about me
0: that spoiler is even more infuriating because jessica gets to be a unicorn and still be this basketball star and softball star at various points in time but Billy has to give up her name and her identity, become a generic unicorn and we see nothing ever again that's such bullshit
2: I will say one thing this is going to sound like I disagree but I largely agree with what you've just said Um, the whole thing about the unicorns in this book I thought was quite well handled to a point in that they went to watch the important game that Billy was um, pitching in and they, Billy wasn't doing very well, and it wasn't it raining. And Lila was there, and she just went, fuck this noise, this is rubbish. And then she stormed, she didn't storm off, but they left. And later on, there was, it was like, I, I believe this was also the book in where more unicorns being, more people being invited to be unicorns was mooted. And Lila was like, no, we're fine, we've got enough. And then later, when belinda won the game they were like okay let's have see we'll invite her to be a unicorn because she's sporty and she's a winner and lila was like well yeah but she might lose next week and i thought that was amazing I thought that was very lila i thought lila shone in that whole part and then they offered her uh, belinda unicorn membership near the end for me the story was about billy stroke belinda not finding her place because of the changes she was going through, and then hopefully finding her place by the end where she was comfortable with both parts of her personality. And for me, the story had led it to the point where when they said to, to her, "Would you like to be a Lind- uh, would you like to be alinda?" when they said to Belinda, "Would you like to be a unicorn?" It was prime for her to go. No, I'm happy not to be a unicorn and play softball and do all these cool things. Yes, I'm now Belinda, but that doesn't mean that I'm not Billy, and I'm not still gonna be doing fishing with my dad and playing with my little brother. I'm gonna have more to my life, but I don't need to be one of you plastic weird snobby bitches. And she just immediately went, "Yes, I do. (laughs) That'll
1: be that'll be awesome. I'm gonna be a unicorn." And that really disappointed me. Yeah, it's it's the same thing. It's it's the acceptance of the unicorns of becoming a unicorn was like the deciding factor. Like, yes, I have given up Billy. Billy was a placeholder and now I'm hot.
0: I agree. Like, I really thought the book was building in awkward, sometimes terrible ways to this fact where she could put on lipstick and wear dresses and then still go kick ass in sports And she would turn the unicorns down, and that would be fine, because not everyone has to be a unicorn. Elizabeth clearly left the unicorns. But no, that's not what we get. I do think the unicorns were overall pretty great in this book, and Lila was best Lila. She was amazing. The subplot here is that the unicorns are trying to clean up their reputation because they want to win some sort of community award, because it's an open-ended one all a paid trip within one day of sweet valley or something like that don't get me As... started on that <laughs> no no i try to get you started on that <laughs> why don't you tell us about the ridiculousness of that prize oh uh, the prize the prize for this community award was a
2: a, a one-day trip to anywhere within 50 miles for the entire organization that won the award now i'm sorry but with a little bit of foresight a little bit of forward thinking and with people like jessica behind that if they won that school would be bankrupt within a week because it was all expenses paid somewhere within 50 miles of sweet valley that have been something massively expensive and inappropriate that they could have all honed in on and reading the letter of the law took that school to the fucking cleaners
1: yeah and aside from anything you know it's been retconned that this is a suburb of LA, so there's got to be some, like, film studios. You've also got Disney. Is there a Universal in it,
0: LA? There or is a I- Universal, there's a Knott's Berry Farm. There's a bunch of things within 50 miles, since they're that close to L.A., that they could have just absolutely destroyed this prize because it was expenses paid. Like they wouldn't even have to pay food and stuff. So they could have just taken them to the cleaners. And it's ridiculous. Raven goes boom in the written recap over it. And it's amazing.
1: Yeah. With this, um, this story, like so much of it irritated me that I just kind of want to rip it to shreds. And there's like the bit where Billy's dad gives her the compliment. Oh, my daughter, you look so pretty. And inside she's like, all other compliments don't matter. This is the one that matters. And like, if you read that with a trans headcanon, that Belinda is a girl, but she's always been forced to be a boy. That's lovely, but it's not. She's she's a tomboy and she's just hacking off part of who she was because
0: she's pretty now. And it's just it makes me angry. And or even if you read it as she has been forced into these sports things and has hated it the whole time. And now he's going to let her be the person she always wanted to be. That'd be fine, too. But she loves these things. She loves going fishing with her dad. She loves softball. She loves being competitive and beating people. And then there's just this 180 where she's like, no, no, I can only be a girl now. And girls can't play sports or go fishing or hang out with their dad. I have to, like, make up and dresses and giggle over boys and become a unicorn. And it's that complete idea that you have to be one thing or another that is horrifying and wrong it is just wrong Jamie Suzanne you are wrong I just wish in later books when they
1: refer to Belinda Layton they would say more about whether she does athletic things I mean okay it has been a while since I've read a sizable chunk of the books so I could be wrong and I will be delighted to be wrong if I see it but in the back of my mind I'm fairly certain that She doesn't. I mean, because, you know, a tomboy who likes to get home, get in the shower and pretty herself up is cool. But this isn't. And it just it it was sad. It made me sad and it made me angry. It was sad, And just the way they gave her name away, like they never even discussed it with her. They had a discussion that Belinda overheard where they decided they were going to call him William Arthur and then the dad went oh billy won't like it because i've been calling her billy for 12 years and that was just kind of it and billy sort of reacted by going they were they're giving my name away and goes upstairs and has a cry and then you know the mum has the baby and she holds him and um you know meet your brother william arthur nobody clears it with her like if she hadn't had that moment of I'm holding a baby and it's the best thing ever I feel really protective of my brother that baby could have been bouncing on the floor like that's my fucking name you're not having the baby I mean okay admit that that took a very dark turn and I didn't mean it to I didn't even know I was going there but I'm just saying it might have been tactful to have that conversation just to head off any potential baby murdering. I think that would have been quite
2: good as well because she'd been um, set up as being very sporty, so she could have properly scored a three-pointer with that baby. Yeah,
1: yeah she
0: could have boofed him over <laughs> the hospital roof. The crowd goes that wild. Uh, I do say that the way... One of Dove's complaints here is obviously that whole holding a baby and everything's changed. And I agree that that's kind of a terrible way to have written this. I did really like the fact that her baby brother is what changes her mind about being so angry. Just in that fact that you could be angry about having a new sibling and angry about all these things. And she is dealing with shitty things from her parents in particular. But that younger sibling thing is just... It rang so true for me. Like, you can later fight and i'm sure they will later fight and have arguments but my god when you get to be a big sibling for the first time it's such a great great feeling or at least it was for me so that part rang true like just her utter joy at having a baby brother i remember that feeling well
2: i just wonder if they're gonna how she's gonna have that utter joy when we read the sequel to this book in 12 years where young william arthur's wearing a dress going call me belinda i think that'd be amazing
0: they're that would be my fantastic. name again And then she takes Billy back and they both get to be happy. It's the circle of life. Uh, I will say the best part about this book is Lila. Lila is so purely Lila. When Janet wants to clean up the unicorn's reputation so that they can win this prize somehow, Lila is one that, I don't care, they can think of this whatever they want. We don't need this prize. We don't need to change who we are. We don't need to add members. She's just so utterly confident in herself and in the club and in what she wants out of life and it's really great to see because jessica's very much out of character in this book very helpful without being manipulative or creative in what she's coming up with she really reads as elizabeth and it's kind of horrible
2: i think lila's one of lila's motivations behind being so well fuck this award is that the prize for the award is a all expenses paid day trip to anywhere within 50 miles. And Lila's entire life is an all expenses paid day trip to anywhere within 50 miles, to be
0: honest. Or farther out. Or yeah. So she out, really yeah. needs nothing.
2: <laughs> oh, you what's you watch this free stuff? <laughs> Who needs free stuff? I want to pay for everything.
0: Exactly.
1: Yeah. Lila was just so good and she was just so not interested in changing their their reputations and i also love the fact that janet was like don't tell anyone like it'll be really embarrassing if people think that we're you know we're working on our reputations because they don't think they're good enough it's like uh, people are always going to talk about you janet you know you're basically a fleet of harpies Lila is the only one i respect because she's like yes i am evil i like right? me she's that like, way we
0: are a fleet of harpies this is who we are this is the whole point of the club yeah Lila is the greatest which is especially nice to see because obviously the previous book Lila's not around since so she doesn't need to join a choir to go to D.C. So it was nice for her to come back out swinging in this book. So that was pretty great. The rest of it not so much.
2: It would have been quite nice in the previous book to see when Jessica and uh, when Jessica and Anna crashed the embassy. Lila was actually there. <laughs> she's like yeah i got invited to this fuck you guys
0: that would have been amazing i'm so sad that didn't happen though i do think you were right when you made the point that uh she would have taken away from the story she definitely would have had she just been there being amazing lila but i'm sad that didn't happen yeah so
1: basically this book sucked really didn't it i have actually as we were talking worked out why i used to reread it so often um And if you take away all the family drama, it's a tomboy trying to find her place in, you know, where she stands and everything like that. And I used to adore the Mighty Ducks movies, and I always wished that we got to see more from Connie's point of view, because she's a very bold and bolshy and brash kind of character. She's one of the boys, but she's also very much a girl, and... I always kind of used this as my methadone. This was sort of like, this is how I imagined like Connie when she's like, when nobody's looking and she's not quite that brave. But yeah, you have to remove all the family bullshit because I, my headcanon is that Connie has a better family
0: life than that. I do think if you take the family crap out of this, it is a great story about a tomboy hitting puberty and worrying about stuff. So I think that would be fantastic. And I can absolutely see why you would like that as they kind of look at what Connie was like, maybe behind the scenes, because Connie really is truly one of the best characters in the first Mighty Ducks movie, uh, which I also love, obviously. Okay. So it sounds like we're done with this. So do we want to go to Bleak Valley then? Mm
2: Jessica Wakefield doesn't exist, she's merely a construct in the mind of Elizabeth Wakefield, an abused only child trapped in the basement by unloving parents. Elizabeth Wakefield, whose imagination spawned the whole of Sweet Valley in an attempt to escape her lonely, imprisoned, apocalyptic clusterfuck life. The name for Elizabeth's altered reality, this desolate nightmare, the purple underbelly of a cracked psyche, the dark world of her mind and soul, Bleak Valley. Okay then, so I guess we're starting with jumping to conclusions, Bleak Valley.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that explains itself, but uh, have at it, people. Well, I want to hear more about how it explains itself. Yes. Basically just the end bit with all of the brothers and sisters and the trashed house. And you're not really sure who's related to who. And the boys are quite boisterous. And yeah, we're going to drop our sister off the roof. It's really fun. And Alice is a promiscuous drunk who's been married multiple times. And she really hopes the marriage with Ned is going to stick. I'm just like isn't that bleak valley canon
0: well except that canon for bleak valley is that elizabeth has no siblings except maybe that one step sibling that she hoped would save her so are you saying that all of these siblings are actually there or that she's wishing she had all of these siblings to take the pressure off of her when alice goes on one of her drunken rampages
2: no i think we can build on on that like you're like you're saying there um i think that having Alice as a promiscuous drunk who with multiple marriages and a a backstory from hell that could be very very much the real Alice and because the cracks are showing with Bleak Valley Elizabeth now letting the real Alice into her sweet valley life she's thinking well if I was to have all these brothers and sisters and friends that I would like maybe this is what they would actually be like and they would treat me badly, and they would drop me off the, the house. And while I would like to be whisked away by a billionaire who's got a really nice house and everything would be great, my awful mother and the imagined horrors of what our family life would be like are enough to keep me here. You look confused.
0: Well, more I was thinking that I didn't actually read the seed with all the kids as sibling horrors and all very much read as them horsing around with each other and just being boisterous kind of violent siblings towards each other so going back through the recap here uh you do make a note that amy is protesting as they drag her along which i don't think i took away from that so yeah i can see if you're looking at that you would look at it as they're abusing their sister not necessarily sexually but just picking on her and throwing her around whereas i took it as I took it as sibling being boisterous as you do, whereas this would be sort of an ideal thing for uh, Bleak Valley Elizabeth. Amy is also
1: missing a tooth at that stage. So when she gets up and grins at Fabio, she's like missing a tooth. So you can definitely infer that she's been dropped off the uh, the roof several times to
0: to make this but happen. Can you? Because 12 year olds definitely still might have missing teeth
1: true true that's something i didn't consider so fair well how about
2: this then how about the bleak valley alice has been more has been missing more from the bleak valley elizabeth's life for whatever reason maybe she's had to go to rehab or something like that but she's not been there as often so bleak valley elizabeth is imagining a way out with her mother. Maybe she likes her mother... Sorry, maybe she hates her mother slightly less than she hates her father. So she's imagining her mother finding somebody else who will take them away. And that person's going to be rich and handsome and have all the things that she wants. But she's so browbeaten and distraught with her own predicament. She's got Stockholm Syndrome, so she creates these siblings and these reasons not to go so her her own subconscious is rebelling against this imagined escape that she's got by having her and her imagined twin do their very best to have the
0: family unit stay together we could also look at it as she sees this opportunity for escape or at least for change but she saw that previously we talked about with the step-sibling coming in and she thought maybe they were going to save her and that went so horrifically wrong that maybe now she can immediately see something and be excited about a hope for it but then remembers that things don't ever go right for her anything that brings her hope is just going to end up destroying her so she has to push back against that And i mean i don't disagree necessarily that bleak valley alice isn't the drunken woman with all of the failed marriages and 500 kids I just didn't see the sibling situation in Sweet Valley as being as negative as apparently other people did. Uh, Yeah, so I think either way or any of these ways works with Bleak Valley, depending on how many siblings Bleak Valley Elizabeth does or does not have.
2: To be fair, the book I was written was fun more than anything.
1: Yeah, definitely.
2: I can see the Bleak Valley version of that fun being the more abusive Rather than the the fun that we had in the actual story,
0: that's fair. That's definitely fair.
2: Okay. Well, I mean, it's it's tough to go Bleak Valley on a on a book that is so fun, even though it does lend itself to some obvious parallels.
0: Yeah, it really does. It is hard. Uh, it's harder for I think this whole month. I was as I was reading them, I was thinking about Bleak Valley, and I was really struggling to get real Bleak Valley into it. I mean, as we move on to Holiday Mischief. It just reads as an escapist fantasy to me, especially with all the overtop illogical things that happen. The choir stuff where obviously she wouldn't know how a choir would really work, Elizabeth getting to come in to be this hero that wins some singing awards, Jessica getting to come in and be a hero that wins singing awards, and stops as spy who just happens to be spying on things in the middle of a party at the embassy. It just all very much reads like It just all very much reads like an action adventure escape story. So, yeah, that fits well for me, just as is as a package deal.
1: Yeah. And the added bonus of um, Anna, who is adopted, finding a sibling. Um, I think that just reflects the fact that Bleak Valley Elizabeth really, really wishes that Jessica was real and you know, doesn't really go much deeper than that.
0: That's a good point that I hadn't thought
2: of. Could Bleak Valley Elizabeth actually be projecting herself as Anna in this book? Could she be like, well, I don't have a voice, and so I need to do my best to escape my reality by finding my real siblings and family? Because these people obviously aren't.
0: That is... Excellent. The whole not having a voice thing, in particular, and especially if you take that one step further, that Anna in Sweet Valley uses Jessica and Elizabeth to be her voice, and as Elizabeth built this world where Jessica is what she wants to be, that's phenomenal. Really well done. I mean,
2: it doesn't really tie in with the spy stuff, <laughs> but um, but yeah. again,
0: escape is fun. Yeah, that's all yeah. she needs sometimes. Yeah,
1: yeah. I think <clears throat> sometimes. Elizabeth just sees things like a quick clip on TV or an advert or here's a snippet of the radio or something. And then she just sort of like folds it into her daydream because it's new and she hadn't thought of that. And why not incorporate it into your world? How meta. Maybe she saw the cover for Jumping to Conclusions.
0: (laughs) I like it.
2: Yeah, I think with the, the Anna not having a voice. I think it could also tie into the fact that the fact that the choir master's not really hearing what's going on and the whole thing is just the adults just being useless again. That could be her screaming into the dark and nobody listening.
0: That's really horrifying. I love it.
2: Okay, let's move on to the, uh, the final book.
0: Okay. Right. Standing out. Bleak Valley. I got nothing. And go. Well,
2: that's a tough one, this, to be fair.
0: Actually, yeah. this is a lie. I have something. Okay. So Ooh. during the written recap, Dove talks about how at some point it's going to be Lois saves Sweet Valley. Hashtag but,
1: Apocalypse Lois.
0: Yeah, Apocalypse Lois. And so I'm just going to take Apocalypse Lois as my Bleak Valley. Eventually, Bleak Valley is going to be the end of the world. And Lois is going to save us all. There you go. Boom, done.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's hard to know with this one. I mean... Could we tie stuff into
2: the changes that Billy was going through? Maybe Elizabeth, Bleak Valley Elizabeth's going through
1: similar changes? Possibly, but at the same time, there is a book later on where uh, the twins get their period. So with that in mind, it's kind of hard to... hmm, um, mm, true.
0: Right, but if you're like me and don't know that that's happening, thank you for the spoiler. You can look at this as, yeah, she's concerned about puberty hitting. Or also that she is wanting to figure out a way to become the daughter that they want. She's still looking for a way to make her parents love her after everything. That's nice,
2: yeah, yeah.
0: Like I said, Bleak Valley was hard for me this month. The two books, the parts that I enjoyed of the two books, and then obviously really liking Jumping to Conclusions... I couldn't find a lot of stuff there, but this one was just hard. Not only did it infuriate me, but it doesn't, except for that maybe finding the way to make her parents love her. It doesn't really feel in any way that Bleak Valley Elizabeth would want a story like this or want to tell herself a story like this.
1: Yeah. Unless we use the sports to represent all of the jobs that she does around the house. So they see her as like, a maid or a servant or somehow some functional entity that is external to the family, and she thinks, you know, if she looked prettier, they'd they'd see her more. And
0: oh, kind of a Cinderella story, but instead yeah. of prince, the parents would see her as a real person and not just the servant girl. I like that. Yeah, how that works.
2: How about this one? How about I mean, we're, we're established over the last few books that there's a new sibling in the in in, in the mix which is not done wonders for her psyche uh, hasn't been very liberating for her it probably made her quality of life worse so maybe this is a way of her trying to justify that to herself maybe she's experienced changes in her life because of this sibling coming in and upsetting the status quo. And the end of the book is her trying to come to terms with that by saying, no, the sibling, which is obviously in in her mind, the new baby, that is enough to justify these changes. That is enough for me to say that is fine. I can move on.
0: That, I think, is a good point, actually. Yeah, nicely done, especially in the idea that the Sweet Valley version, the new baby coming in is such a joyous moment only at the time of it arriving before that it's very stressful but that she then chooses to accept this new sibling and love it and elizabeth is looking for that way to have a connection and to and to get out and become a part of the family so i definitely see her kind of trying to show herself a map of what she needs to do even if she feels miserable
2: yeah yeah nice
0: cool all right so i take it back that one had the best bleak valley stuff <laughs> it just took a while to get there
2: i think we have sufficiently bleaked the uh the books this week should we move on to our best and worst of the month
0: yes so raven yes. what was your best and worst i'm well, sure no one could guess
2: <laughs> the best book this month had to be jumping to conclusions because if i'm being completely honest it was the best book of the series so far i really enjoyed it immensely better than the old boy by a smidge and that was very very good too so yeah no surprises there but that was my best ah the worst book i mean we've been quite hard on both of these books there were bits about them that we liked and the bits about them that we hated i will say of the other the other two both of them i enjoyed more than i didn't enjoy and if i had to choose between holiday mischief And Standing Out, I think the worst of those two is likely Standing Out. But it's close, because I did enjoy it, but the take-home message on that No, I'm going to change that. No, I'm going to change that. The worst one was Holiday Mischief, because of the fucking choir crap. And that four, four into ten, and not, yeah, that was it. Yeah, that's the
0: one, that's the worst one. Pretty much always teachers for Raven. It always comes down to the teachers and their failure. Agreed.
1: And I have to say, I actually agree on both counts with with uh, Raven. Jumping to conclusions is by far the best book. To be honest, it's been one of the best we've read so far, full stop. So obviously it was going to win, regardless of what it went up against. And the worst was Holiday Mischief, which ordinarily wouldn't be the worst. Uh, I actually quite enjoyed it for what it was. And I quite often, as I've said, I like it. I like the super editions when they force unicorns and non-unicorns to just get along to go along or go along to get along. So it had a lot of good about it. But for some reason, I always just reread Standing Out a lot as a kid so it's kind of got that holdover and even as a kid i got that it was utterly bullshit and you know it was a bad message and an awful thing to do to billy slash belinda but still i enjoyed it for the tomboy storyline
0: i definitely agree that jumping to conclusions was the best of this month and one of my favorites of all of the books we've read though obviously that is not really high praise considering a lot of the crap that we've read and how I feel about it. I do differ that uh, I think standing out was the worst book of the month. The tomboy stuff was fun, but everything else that happened and especially that ending was horrific. Uh, And I really did enjoy the adoption part of holiday mischief. And if I can ignore the choir part, the whole spy shenanigans was just ridiculously fun not believable in the slightest, but fun. So yeah, for me, jumping to conclusions was the best, standing out was the worst.
2: I guess telling that this month, no one chose their own book as the worst, which is nice.
0: It is, it is. It's been
1: one of those months where each book had a very positive quality about it, and so... You know, it's just unfortunate that they were against each other because I've got to say the next two taking charge and teamwork don't do it for me at all. So had standing out been against them, it would have won rather than coming second place.
0: I will say that I'm kind of glad that we've gotten to a point, and I'm hoping it continues this way throughout the rest of it, that any individual book, I don't really hate the whole book. Like I do obviously still hate parts of it, but I don't necessarily like Sweet Valley as a whole because of the parts that keep adding up. But there's no one book that I really just utterly want to set the book on fire. There was a lot of rage the first few months we were doing this. And that's hard to maintain, especially when I have a lot of real life political rage going on at the same time. So it's nice to be able to look at something and be, no, no, I really love this part. Or yeah, that part sucked, but this part was pretty great. And also, I'll admit that uh, Raven's joy in some of these books, particularly this month, his joy in jumping to conclusions, is really carrying me along. Uh, He's also a first-time reader, though he's reading ahead and I'm not. And so his excitement over forthcoming books really helps me think that it might be exciting, too dove loves a lot of them but dove also read a lot of them as a kid and i can never tell how much of it is nostalgia versus still loving it as an adult but raven coming into it new means that when he adores something i'll probably find something to enjoy as an adult reader as well well
2: maybe my tolerance for bullshit is notoriously low so well that is definitely
0: true as well
2: okay so i think that's a wrap for this this
0: month I think so, too. Uh, There's maybe some changes coming in the near future, but we will keep you guys updated on that. And it won't change anything here at Sweet Valley, necessarily. So thank you guys for listening, and we'll see you next month. Thank you. you. Cheers. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this month's episode of Sweet Valley Online. You can find all our recaps and previous podcast episodes on our website at sweetvalley.online. Come talk to us on Facebook at facebook.com sweetvalleyonline and on Tumblr at sweetvalleyonline.tumblr.com. Thanks again to Stuart Taylor of Legacy Breakfast for our music. We'd love it if you subscribe, rate, and review us at your favorite podcast provider. Thanks again for listening.